Hello, you shower of absolute piss witches. What's the crack this week? This is podcast number three. I am incredibly grateful for all the econs coming back on week three to listen. I'm incredibly grateful that uh, this podcast, and I'm shocked that this podcast has been number one in the iTunes charts for the past two weeks. And a little birdie told me that it's been fairly high up and in the top 20s of the UK charts as well. So thank you to all of the Kraken Tans who have been togging out and listening and subscribing and reviewing. Um, please keep subscribing and reviewing because that's what keeps the momentum going with the podcast. And I want this thing to grow. I want this thing to be fairly big this time next year I want to be doing live podcast gigs because um, why not also a very uh, very gracious thank you to uh, all the people who went out and purchased my book of short stories the gospel according to blind by I just heard back that it is now number two in the Irish book charts which I again was not expecting thank you so much for everyone who went out and bought it it's number two Number one is Dan Brown, who wrote that film with Tom Hanks, where he uh, bothers bothers a, a, a photograph of the Mona Lisa that's painted by one of the turtles. I don't know, I haven't seen it. But thank you. You gorgeous cunts. Uh, I'm going to be reading uh, another short story today, after some, some rants. Um... Because I want to do something new with the podcast. I want to do something new. I want to let it change. Let it evolve. Let's have a bit of crack with it, you know. Let's do let's let's try and do something new. Speaking of doing something new, if you will direct your ears, you will notice that there is um some very gentle piano, tinkling piano playing in the background of this week's podcast. And the reason for that is is that You'll know that I, I'm all about trying to create that nice, warm podcast hug. And what I mean by that is, um, I believe that podcasts exist uh, as little artifacts in this current moment and time. They, they serve a psychological purpose, I believe. Because sometimes I can't understand why podcasts are even popular, you know? Why, why do we want to listen to somebody rant about shit? When if it was the radio, we'd turn it off and call them a prick. But I believe that in our online world of social media, where there is a a non-stop emotional cacophony of uh, angry tweets and anxious Facebook posts and looking at too many six-packs on Instagram or the, uh, the existential anxiety... Of having to watch Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un awkwardly career nuclear warheads down the collective political urethra like some oily corner of the deep web. It's not pretty. You know, there's only two things that provide an element of calm within that extreme attention-seeking environment and those things are videos of cats and podcasts. And what podcasts can do, I believe, is they give you a little warm mindful hug 
they allow us to have a, a little space in the day where we can kind of switch our brains off and not really switch our brains off but engage a different part of our brain a more non-judgmental and compassionate creative um, and curious part of our brains to just sit back and listen uh, you know I, I think that's what podcasts do um, other things that do that are fire fire does that you know um, you know I think maybe podcasts are the fire of the 21st century there's a hot take for you but uh, yeah fire is pretty pretty interesting in what it does to the human brain um, in human evolution you know they were looking at how tools uh, how tools were made over, over the years with humans right and like we've been uh, we've, we've been anatomically modern for I think it's about 500,000 years could be wrong but a, a long time like 500,000 years we've been you know anatomically like people who look like you and me have been walking the earth but we've been behaviorally modern for 50,000 years which is again is a pretty long time you know as in 50,000 years ago there was people walking around with the exact same brains as you and me and uh, rewind back about 400,000 years before that I think we there was a young boy called Homo Erectus and to the best of my recollection Homo Erectus was the first lad to discover fire but what happened was our early ancestors had been using tools like little hatchets made out of rocks and maybe the odd spear or something but the technology of these tools it remained static for millennia you know they, they just there was no sign of innovation the, the same tools were being used over and over again for thousands of years simple rock tools and then something happened which caused uh, an explosion in creativity and it was when fire was discovered. When fire was discovered, the hominid, early human brain, experienced a wave of, of creativity and innovation. And people think, you know, uh, archaeologists think, and paleontologists think, and anthropologists, I could be wrong with the paleontologists there, I think they only study dinosaurs. Why are you listening to me for knowledge? I'm only getting one out of every three facts right. But anyway, something happened with the, an explosion of human creativity happened. Um, and they think it's because of the discovery of fire. For two reasons. When humans discovered fire, it is possible that the ability to cook meat released extra proteins in the meat which nourished our, our growing brains. But others believe that fire... Uh, causes the human brain uh, to, to enter a very contemplative and creative state you know you'll know this yourself if you ever stand in front of an open fire and it's crackling it's very peaceful and it's very hypnotising and it draws your mind in naturally to daydream and to forget about what's going on around you and some say that when this you know happened to our, our early ancestors that this caused them to think introspectively to think ab in an abstract fashion and to solve problems and invent 
better tools to solve their to solve their issues and problems and maybe the podcast is the same thing when I listen to podcasts it does draw me into this very open and contemplative state so how did I get to this point there is a bed of slow tinkling jazz underneath this week's podcast because I want to create a a hug for ye listening a, a relaxing hug and I'm also a musician so why why shouldn't I just play some very simple you know a loop of some simple j- a jazz progression with a few tinkles because it's nice to listen to but you know what if you don't like it and it doesn't work just get on to me on twitter at rubber bandits or leave feedback on iTunes or whatever the fuck uh, app you're fucking using and tell me get rid of the piano you goal get rid of it you pretentious prick why do you have jazz piano on your podcast you've travelled up your own hall and it's only podcast number three please get rid of the jazz piano if that's how you feel let me know and you know what I might even listen to you because I'm just trying something out just trying something out you barefaced hairdresser Um, what have I done with my week I I'm still promoting the book fairly hard The Gospel According to Blind Boy my book of short stories because I'm contractually obligated to and I want to get paid for it too because I spent the year writing it for free so what I've been doing is on Tuesday last Tuesday I think which was Halloween I did a press day so I headed up to Dublin for the day and I went into Today FM spoke to Al Porter that was fantastic Al read some of my book because Al loves being an orator he loves reading then I fucked off over to 2FM spoke to Owen McDermott Owen's good crap I, I just Freudian slipped crap when speaking about Owen McDermott Owen is good crack not good crap sorry Owen for the Freudian slip but then I'd like a few hours to kill between RTE and the next interview which was on the Joe Show which is an online uh, online television show on joe.ie which was surprisingly good crack Um, but however there was a gap of about 8 hours and my commissioning editor from my book rather foolishly chose to spend that eight hours by taking me out for dinner and cocktails in a class place on Dawson Street called Peruk and Periwig. Now, I'm not advertising any of these people. They just simply uh, exist in the ether of capitalism and I'm I'm noting their existence. Uh, I'm not getting paid. But I went to Peruk. I I enjoy Peruk. I like to pop in there anytime I'm in Dublin because they... um, it's just got a lovely environment. It's nice and quiet, do you know? And and it's they've got lovely candlelight. And I love cocktails. I adore cocktails. Now, I don't drink that much. Maybe once a maybe once a week, once every two weeks. But when I do drink, I like to enjoy what it is I'm drinking. Um, my usual tipple is Polish cans. I love Polish beer. It is fantastic. It's you. It's made from three ingredients, and it's straightforward stuff. And it's nice and strong. It's about six percent. And Polish beer is gorgeous. My second favourite thing is cocktails, specifically tiki cocktails. And uh, so I went to Peruk and Periwig and I drank uh, a few Mai Tais 
and some zombies, which are tiki drinks. And what is tiki? Tiki's a weird tiki, it, it, tiki culture. It's this weird thing that happened in um, America in the 1940s and 1950s. It uh, it would be what the philosopher Jean Baudrillard called a, a hyper-real simulacrum. It's tiki culture is when the Yanks fucked off over to Polynesia the Polynesian Islands during World War 2 when they were having a crack at the Japanese the uh, when they finished the war the the US Marines and the you know the GIs when they fucked off back to America in the 40s late 40s and 50s they started to get nostalgic for their t- their their youth spent as you know positioned in uh, the Polynesian Islands so tiki culture emerged which were these very tacky bars made out of you know with straw and tiki torches now now favoured by the alt-right and like you know tiki carvings that look like the Easter Island sculptures and hula skirts grass hula skirts and flower garlands and Hawaiian music and type of music called Exotica which is uh, I don't know you'd know it if you heard it 50s kind of exotic music and Bossa Nova which is from Brazil but what was so weird about Tiki culture is that they tried to recreate Polynesian culture not based on facts or research or sensitivity but by the memory, the colonial memory of what the, the US soldiers had of Polynesia. So it, it became hyper-real, a hyper-real simulacrum mixed in with American post-war capitalism. And from this, these bars came drinks like the Mai Tai and the Zombie, uh, one called a Suffering Bastard. And they're lovely, lovely cocktails. They're very fruity and pineapple and passion fruity. And they're, without question, my favourite cocktails. And I will gobble them up if they're put in front of me. So, you know, unfortunately, many of them were put in front of me on Tuesday night. And I ended up getting shit-faced. And I had to go and do an interview on The Joe Show. Um, Which was alright, you know. It's, 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 you know, Joe.ie get a lot of flack. Mostly from me. But the Joe show, you know, you'll, you'll see, and if you want to see my interview, it's on Joe.ie's Facebook page because it went out live. If you want to see an interview of me drunk. I had I had an unbelievable amount of crack. I loved it. I loved the liberation and the freedom of doing an interview on my ear. It was great. And the hosts were absolutely sound. But what I liked about the Joe show, because I'd never really watched it, it has the kind of, the free chaos of talk shows uh, British talk shows in the golden age of the 90s when you had the likes of um, The Word now I don't remember The Word I would have been a sperm but I've seen footage of it and TFI Friday presented by Chris Evans I do remember that and you know yeah, UK TV had this heyday of chaotic uh, talk shows where they, you know, they had interesting guests and there was a sense of anything could happen and there was a lovely feeling to it you know and it captured a zeitgeist at the time um, I remember that lunatic Sean Ryder from the Happy Mondays was on TFI, TFI Friday once and God help him he couldn't stop cursing 
fuck every two seconds and possibly a cunt or a gash maybe and um, yeah they had to create a role in English UK live television after Sean Ryder went on went on live TV and cursed so much that they had to create a, a 10 minute uh, a 10 minute gap I think before it actually went live and that was the end of the heyday of UK live television we've talked before on the radio and uh, you know that you swear a lot don't you you are aware of that <laughs> yeah but the thing is you don't mean to do you no no it's all it's just the way it happens you know, it's you just know. your lingo that's the way it is yeah Al you read strange spot it's king 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 yeah that's alright you see that's okay well Sean, Sean has promised tonight to do his best haven't you Sean yeah well, look, I, 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 let me tell you this. If you don't swear tonight, I'll give you my shoes. Would you like these shoes? Uh, I'll find somewhere to wear them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hang on. Patrick Cox, man, and Patrick's the fucking good... Uh... <laughs> Oh, Sean Ryder, you fucking gas cunt. God bless you. He lasted uh, about 20 seconds there before he said the word folk. Um, I love that Happy Mondays were good crack, weren't they? Um, they're one of the few bands, really, actually, that managed to include quite a, quite a bit of madness and humour in their music without getting kind of written off as as novelty, which is one of those things that grinds my gears a little bit about about making music for some reason. Music is is the only art form that I can think of whereby if you include humour or if you make people laugh that the art form itself is discredited. It's discredited as as silly and not having any serious weight behind it that it's it's novelty. And uh, that's one of the struggles that we've always had with when we're making music for the rubber bandits. Like, I mean, if you've been listening to our tunes you'll know that like you know, we're serious musicians like we actually give a shit about making decent songs we always see it as uh, we, make, we make music and if you happen to laugh then great but the we're not really comedy music we're music that sometimes happens to be funny but we always get written off as novelty which I find a bit I tell you what pisses me off all music has a degree of novelty to it Right, all music has a gimmick to it, you know. You know, even if even you know Bob Dylan is 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 taken incredibly seriously, d- deservedly so. But Dylan has a gimmick, you know. Dylan's um, appearance of being a serious artist is in is itself a gimmick that we buy into. Um, a lot of. Uh, a lot of hipster bands, new cool hipster bands that come out, I keep seeing them. Their music and in particular their lyrics are, are of little substance or weight or meaning. But if they've got the right haircut and the right jeans, all of a sudden, you know, 
they appear to have some type of uh, integrity to their work but on on investigative perusal that integrity is is non-existent you know they're given quite a bit of creative freedom and uh, you know at the end of the day you're just listening to a band's haircut who wants to do that who wants to listen to someone's haircut but yeah music's unique like that as an art form you know you can write you could write a book and include loads of humour in the book and yet it is not discredited as an art form as being novelty it's seen as having some degree of weight films you know the work of, of unbelievable artists like the Coen brothers you know the Big Lebowski the Big Lebowski is, is a serious piece of art and it's fucking hilarious yet it is not discredited as novelty um, Randy Newman who is in my opinion one of the greatest songwriters of all time and someone that we musically always look up to he struggles with that too Randy Newman was always written off as, as novelty because he's got songs like uh, Short People which is about short people or a song like Rednecks Rednecks is uh you know, on first listen, it sounds like a silly, fun song, but it's a very, very... It's 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 a, an analysis of racism from the point of view of the racist. And Randy Newman was great for that, for using the, the technique of the unreliable narrator for his songs. A fabulous example of this is uh, one of his songs called Christmas in Cape Town, which is my favourite Christmas song. It's probably my only Christmas song. But it is a song written about South African apartheid from the point of view of the white oppressor and it is a a beautifully empathic song you know to be written from the point of view of the racist and it's an anti-racism song but it allows you into the anger and hurt and the misinformed nature of someone of that mindset and I just think it's nuts that you know that's the angle he went for Let's, let's write a song about apartheid while apartheid is happening let's make it a Christmas song and let's make it from the point of view of the racist and use quite a lot of racist language in it and it's a great piece of art an amazing piece of work you wouldn't get away with that in 2017 Um, I just don't think people would get it I don't think that as a as a straight white male Randy would be allowed to have that degree of freedom in what he was doing I think his words no matter how empathic would be viewed with a through a sinister lens you know and Randy himself said that he would like to see music and songwriting elevated to the to the level of the short story that music should be viewed the way that we would view short stories with that level of integrity but for some reason music isn't you write a song doesn't matter what the melody is the chord progression doesn't matter what the issue is you're trying to satirically dissect if the end result is that people have a bit of a giggle it is novelty music and it's kind of written off as lacking value and the only answer I can think of is is solemnity maybe music is, is as a medium it tends to maybe touch a very solemn part of ourselves you know uh, music is one of the few mediums too where you will consistently get away with cliche over and over and over again. How many songs are simply written about 
the love between a man and a woman or vice versa. Every single fucking song. She broke my heart. He broke my heart. I miss you so much. And yet we consistently forgive it. We don't mind. We're conditioned into this... uh, this feedback loop of songs about I love you so much oh baby baby please come back when will you be back and we don't care and that's not good enough if you ask me you know why can't songs be about mad shit it's what I love about Irish traditional folk music Jesus Christ there's some mad shit there the Rocky Road to Dublin by the Dubliners I don't think they wrote it I think it's um, traditional folk melody but like the Rocky Road to Dublin is a song about some culture deciding he wants to go to England so he walks to Dublin with a stick and then he finally gets to England and then it's like what, why, are we, why are we going to England? To beat the shit out of Brits with my stick and that's what that song is about and it's beautiful such a beautiful passionate song so anyway uh, during the week I asked you on Twitter to I don't know, ask some questions of what you would like uh, discussed on the podcast. Specifically, I asked, what what would you like to see um, subjected to gas contest inquiry? So I'm going to read out a few few of the questions that you asked and give my opinions on them. Tara Dankdal asked, am I morally okay to watch House of Cards? Um... Obviously, in light of uh, Kevin, all those allegations about Kevin Spacey being a bit of a rat. A, a, a rat with a long tail for a long time. Being a bit of a nasty boy, not understanding the basics of consent. And I don't think any of us want to financially support abusers, do we? You know, that's the tough one. Do you want to be putting money, regardless of how good an artist they are? Do you want to be putting money into their pockets? And... I do. I, I separate the person from the art, right? First and foremost, right? The, the output of someone's artistic talent has no real reflection on who they are as a person. But um, when it comes to, I don't know, someone like R. Kelly, I love R. Kelly's music. I just can't stop loving his music. But the man is a pervert and an abuser. And lots of, lots of allegations against him. Um specifically against kind of helpless poor black girls you know there was a lot of allegations against him that you know people said that certain girls would bring accusations against R. Kelly then the accusations would disappear and that girl's uncle ends up as a bass player on his on his next album bass player in quotation marks so what I do regarding R. Kelly is I illegally download his music and listen to it that way and he doesn't get money out of my pocket then, you know? Um, I'll watch the shit he uploads on YouTube that I don't, I know aren't monetized, and I'll do that for any artist who I enjoy who is a known cunt because I don't want to be supporting him, not financially. Peter Glavin on Twitter asked, How about discussing whether or not the word gaul is cork or limerick slang? I think it's a cork word. Well, Peter, the word gaul, I don't think it's anyone's word. It's, it's, the word gaul comes from the, the Irish word gaval, which means junction. You know, so gaul is, is it gaval, it's a Gaelic word. However, I will say that 
Limerick has a junction called Limerick Junction and it's called Goa Limri. Uh, literally the fanny of Limerick. So I'm taking it for Limerick. Cork has enough shit, man. You've got um, you've got your economy sorted and stuff. You've got Apple. Load of jobs. Sky high rent. You've got English market. You can buy Spanish black pudding and fancy cheeses. We've got nothing. Let us have gold, please, Cork. All right? Peter O'Riordan asks, um, why do Irish people hate when other Irish people are successful? The begrudging bastards mentality. Um, I don't know, is that specifically Irish? You know, Morrissey's got a song, even though Morrissey is as good as Irish, his name is Stephen Patrick Morrissey, but he's got a song, you know, we hate it when our friends become successful. But begrudgery... I think begrudgery exists because other people's success kind of reminds us of what we, we ourselves are not doing. Everyone has goals and things that they want to do. And when other people do well for themselves, it reminds us of what we are not doing and what we're, you know, unconsciously suppressing our own abilities. Um, that's about all I can think of regarding begrudgery. It's a strange one, isn't it? Because we can all be a bit guilty of it. Um, I would suggest to you, if you are a begrudger, catch yourself in the moment doing it and just don't bother. Don't bother with begrudgery. You won't get anywhere with it. And it'll lower your own self-esteem. A common kind of theme with begrudgery too is if you see somebody... You know, maybe the Irish thing is that if you see other Irish people doing it, it's like, you know, they're too similar to... They're similar to who we are. And when you see an Irish person being successful, you know, the common theme is we try to find the reason as to how their success came easily. We like going, you know, that person is successful because they are related to such and such or because, you know, they're they're in with RTE, they're sorted. And I think that's what we like to do. We like to... It's it's we don't want to admit to ourselves that the other person might be successful because they got off their arse and faced their fear of failure and actually went and did it. And the more you begrudge and the more you uh put down other people for their success, the further away you yourself get from actually realizing your own goals. So have a lash at that, you know, give that a go. Just go next time you feel that begrudging feeling go no that's mine that's just me I'm going to leave that one off and as I say before people who people who know what they're talking about tend not to express their opinions underneath YouTube comments you know that's just a fact someone else asked I can't remember your name I'm sorry uh, what is your opinion on North Korea blind boy um, I have an opinion on North Korea. It verges on conspiracy theory, right? But here is my hot take on North Korea. Um, right, K- K- Kim Jong Un, whatever he calls himself, like North Korea can't start a nuclear war, right? They can't because they all they have is um. You know, they've essentially got a nuclear bomb with the technology of a wheelbarrow. They have to drop it out of a plane. You know, they've got petrol-powered ICBMs. They'd be finished in two seconds if they took on any modern nation. So they're they're aware that they cannot start a war. But here's the thing, and I've been looking it up. 
North Korea is a hotbed of cyber crime, right? Hacking and cyber crime. Huge amount of it comes out of North Korea. Anytime North Korea, you know, test a missile or announce a new bomb or whatever the fuck, the entire world media, because they want clicks and they want, you know, they want clicks from our Western fear, the entire world media descends on North Korea to get the newest information on whatever bomb they are building, right? And quite a lot of journalists have complained about getting, you know, malware and Trojan horses uh, and spyware on their computers when they do it. So I think, now this is a fucking hot, hot, hot take conspiracy theory, but I think that North Korea are only doing nuclear tests so that they can get Trojan horses and malware onto Western computers so that they can skim bank accounts and steal loads and loads of money. And I think that that's not what North Korea are doing because they can't go to war. They can't start a war. It's not possible. It's a scam to get our money through spyware. All right? So tell that one to your grandmother. That piano is relaxing. Alright, tell me next week if you fucking hate the piano. Or if you found it uh, enjoyable or if it added to your listening experience. Um, Now I think it is time for me to read a short story. I'm going to read you a short story called Scafism. Um, which is from my book of short stories, The Gospel According to Blind Boy. Which I would like you to go out and buy Please if you don't mind God bless Please enjoy Many of us have those stubborn pounds That seem impossible to lose No matter how good we eat Or how hard we work out My solution is Plush Care Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider With doctors who are there for you day and night To partner with you in your weight loss journey they can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, this is an advertisement for better help. I have frequently attended therapy. For the past 20 years, when I experience anxiety or depression, or when I have difficulty naming and labelling my emotions, identifying my emotions, I often seek the help of a professional therapist to improve my emotional literacy. I've attended therapy in person and I've attended therapy online. If online therapy is something you might be interested in, give better help a try. It's entirely online, it's convenient, flexible, and it's suited to your schedule. All you gotta do is fill out a brief questionnaire, and you get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime. 
for no additional charge. So give it a go. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash blindbuy today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash blindbuy. The way the bottom of his jeans used to soak up the piss from the floor of the jacks would bring on that metallic taste on my tongue that I'd get before an epileptic fit. Every fucking Thursday after darts. He'd have those navy denims that you get in gynies with all the unnecessary stitching around the thighs and the arse. They made him look like a giant toddler with a dirty nappy. Every Thursday, lads. Fat Macca and Arnie Colopy would have gone head to head in a vicious tourney of darts. It would always be the two of them in the final. Arnie nearly went professional if it wasn't for women and liquor. Fine men. Without fail, though, this other fucking idiot would be over for his first drop of harp. He'd drink it in this servile way, where we could all see his teeth through the pint glass. He'd drink his pint like his own pint was telling him to drink it, rather than him telling the pint to get drank. Then off to the jacks, he'd come back out, with an inch of piss on the boot cuffs of his gynies jeans. I couldn't go near my partner, because I'd be transfixed on the cuffs of his pants. I'd watch a centimetre of cold piss on denim, creep up and darken his trousers. Capillary action the ability of a liquid to flow in narrow spaces without the assistance of, or even in opposition to, external forces like gravity. I'd stare at that exact definition on the screen of my Samsung to try and achieve a sense of control over the situation. By 10.15pm, he'd be on harp number two and a pack of scampi fries would be ordered. 10.25pm, and he was back into the jacks for his second pace. Two inches of dark, wet navy up his leg at this point. Other people's piss. He's wearing the feculence of every man in this pub up his fucking leg. Get different trousers, man, to fuck. The heel of his black leather gola tacky would sometimes trap the bottom cuff of his pants leg, so he'd be standing on the end of his own pants. It would squelch. There'd be grains of sand on the soggy denim. From fucking where? No sand in the jacks of this pub. By 11.20pm, the third piss would be had. He'd be half cut, leaning against the bar, belly hanging out of the cardigan, and the piss buys. The piss would be six inches up his shin. Capillary action, sucking up piss, contradicting Newtonian physics. He never even noticed, and that's what would hurt the most. He didn't even know what was happening to his own leg. Art Nocton and Julie Slattery would notice, cause I'd see them staring, but they'd just fall back into their sherries. I'd try to catch their eyes, maybe get some backup, sort this out, a mutiny, but no, cowards. At 11.45pm or thereabouts, the piss would be threatening his upper shin. That's when the taste of metal would arrive in my mouth like I'd licked a 9-volt battery 
followed by a burnt almond sensation and finally bad eggs. When the room would lose its place in time and shapes no longer made sense, that's how I knew I was having the epileptic fit. I'd come around after and Packy Willie the barman would have tonic water and ice for me with a slice of lemon in it. All that citrus and effervescent quinine would see me right and bring me back. Every Thursday, lads. Swear to fuck, every Thursday. No one took notice anymore. No one knew why I'd droop into a fit. No one talked to me about it. No one knew it was because of that stupid bollocks and the capillary action of the piss on his floppy gynies denim. At 12.10am, she'd come in off the night shift, Anne, and stroll over to him. He'd have the Grand Mariner and sparkling water waiting for her at the bar top, and she'd lean in and fucking kiss him, and the leg of her Garda uniform would rub off the shin of his capillary action piss pants every Thursday. When Anne came in, it meant the doors got locked and Art Nocton and Julie Slattery could take out their pack of major and smoke indoors like it was 1985. Packy Willie would turn on the Sanyo behind the counter with the six-changer disc tray. Deacon Blue, Jimmy Nail, Shawaddy Waddy, Prefab Sprout, Thomas Dalby, The Style Council, The Communards, Wham! Kajagoogoo, the solo efforts of Lamar from Kajagoogoo. He'd start dancing with his elbows and the belly over the belt and the top of his arse on show, squelching piss breeches on the wood floor that had eight generations of varnish and was black. She'd dance alongside him with one of Julie Slattery's majors sticking out of her mouth clapping her hands like Daryl Hall, looking at him into the eyes, acting like myself and herself hadn't been married for 18 years. I'd sit up, looking at the screen of my Samsung. The battery would go at three, so I'd read the back of a packet of King Crisps. At around 5.30am, we'd all clear out. Barney Shanahan would collect them in the taxi and I'd walk home. Every Thursday, lads. In the winters, I'd walk home in the pitch black, not a hint of light. I'd click my tongue like a bat, that way I'd hear a lamppost if it was near. The sound would bounce back at me. When it's November dark, the slip on the ground underneath, you have to dance with it or it'll crack you open. The cold has such bitter presence that you can feel your way through it. It has rises and lumps. You can sense the lukewarmth of a hedge. The trail of a panting fox leaves a little band of clammy air that you can grab like a rope and use it to drag your way up a bohreen. In the summer, it'd be bright. I hated that. There's too much pomp and show to summer mornings. When it's winter and dark, you can get properly acquainted with your journey. You get its honesty. You get to know its fears, its intentions. There's areas of the Limerick countryside that can't be trusted purely on grounds of personal integrity. These are where people fall into ditches or drown in bogs. The area charms that person into their death. It's never accidental. I've walked them all with no eyes. I'd arrive back to the cottage at around eight in the morning 
no keys. I'd leave the hall door wide open to confuse the tinkers. That's when I'd be able to relax and have the first drink. I'd be away from the pressures of the pub and the piss breeches. I keep the bottle of Tisky on the window where they'd be cold. This particular Friday morning I couldn't find the opener. I scanned my belongings to see which one I was willing to risk breaking to open the cap off. Not my Samsung, not the remote, not the lighter, fuck it it's my only one. Not Anne's hair straightener that she never collected. So I ripped the curtain pole off the wall. Seven foot long, some fulcrum on it. I jammed the bottle of Tisky in between two cushions on the couch with a heavy encyclopedia holding it in place and popped it open with the curtain pole from the other side of the room. Popped off in two seconds, lads. What did I say? Fucking fulcrum. I haven't got a master's in physics for nothing. I had a fine lump of smelly sock hash that I got off the Costello's from Palace Green. Hums like black pudding when you burn it into the Rizla. I continued with the Tiskies until Judge Judy came on the television. She was talking to young ones who couldn't stop spending money and getting into debt. I'd been meaning to ring Anne's pissed trouser boyfriend for the best part of two years. I'd been meaning to tell him that I hoped himself and Anne would have good fortune in all their future endeavours. The Samsung was charged, and something about this particular episode of Judge Judy gave me the courage to ring his number, so I fucking did, lads. The phone was ringing. He answered. He was talking to me. I was going to tell him about the epilepsy, tell him how silly it was that I'd be getting fits over his piss pants, and how I'd get so upset when himself and Anne kissed while dancing to the solo efforts of Lamar from Kajagoogoo. We'd all laugh about it. Maybe I'd call over for dinner some night. Fuck it. Maybe I'd dance with the two of them next Thursday. I'd smoke Julie Slattery's majors too and clap like Daryl Hall with Anne and high-five himself. We'd all head back to their gaff in Barney Shanahan's taxi, drink Grand Mariner, have a devil's threesome. Why not? Breakfast, dinner and toast. But I didn't. I told him that I'd developed stage 3 cancer of the esophagus and needed to clear the air. I asked him to meet me by the river in Plassey where we could fish for perch together. In fairness to him, he had no qualms about this and felt fierce sorry for me. I don't have stage 3 cancer in my esophagus at all though, lads. I left the house with an open tisky in either fist. I had no fishing rod. So when I made it as far as Castle Connell, I dropped into the spa for a bottle of twine, a nagging of hosar for the rest of the journey, a litre of milk and a squeezy bottle of honey shaped like a gay bee. At Castle Troy, I found a branch of oak and inserted the twine onto the end of it, threw it over my shoulder. At the University of Limerick, I asked a girl to give me one of her earrings. She lashed it over straight away, not a bother, fair play to her. I put that on the end of the twine like a hook. I had the bones of a fishing rod on me, lads. 
When I got to the bank of the Plassey River, he was there. Decent enough rod he had too. Got it in Aldi the last time they had a fishing sail. Not that bad at all. Big welcoming smile on him. As I got closer, he doled out his fat hand in friendship. When I could smell his breath, I wrapped the twine around his neck and didn't stop pulling until his eyes closed. He lay flat on the sandy Plassey riverbank. Sleepy by. Gorgeous evening. There's a pond a small bit upriver with stagnant water near the little island. Very quiet. I carried him up into my arms, pure cradling like, and went there. I tore the fucking ridiculous gyny jeans off him, first port of call, and lobbed them in the river where they'd never give me another fit again. I found three old logs, hollow boys, great for floating, one under his back, tied his fat belly to that, one above his head with hands bound and same with the face, getting great mileage out of this Castle Connell twine, gas looking cunt, balls naked, tied up the logs, like a bachelor at his stag do in Liverpool, some crack. He woke up when I was rubbing the picnic honey all over his balls and arse. Roaring and shouting he was, so I started pouring the honey down his throat. We wouldn't get disturbed that way. I flaked a litre of milk over him too. This is the best bit though, lads. I gently floated him out into the middle of the pond. Logs doing their job at buoyancy, feeling proud of myself. Very still water, it was nice and calm. There he was, drifting out, not one move on him. Eyes up to the sky, mad bastard, it was midday. So the horseflies were having a great time with the honey all over his goalies. Now I know what you're thinking. What class of sick bastard comes up with this type of stuff? Who'd do this to their ex-wife's new lad? But they've been doing this for years. Especially to adulterers. It's called scafism. Perfectly legitimate method of execution. Look it up on your Samsungs. The Persians invented it. The flies will bite as he floats on the pond. The longer he floats, the more he'll shit and piss. This will bring more flies. Give it a day and they'll lay their eggs. The maggots will hatch and he'll still be alive, floating gently on his back, all tied up. The underside of him will get nice and putty-like in the water and fat pike will take scalps out of his calves, trying to eat the worms. Maggots eaten into him too. Only the soft wet bits though, like the mouth, the dick, the eyes, the nose, the ears and the arse. The maggots will accumulate so much that they'll cut off the blood flow, causing early gangrene to set in. Don't blame me lads, blame the ancient Persians for inventing the slowest and cruelest method of death known to humanity. 
You'd think methods like that get lost in the flow of time. Forgotten in barbarism, but they don't. Because time doesn't flow. It creeps capillary up the universe's leg. Ignorant of Newton's laws. Slow and unnoticed by the weak. Bringing the dark stain of retribution with it. I gaze up at the heavens and it gazes back in bold cut jeans and black leather shoes. Yes, that was Scafism, a story about murder. And if you enjoyed that story, please subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends about the podcast, and write a little review about the podcast, please. I'd be very grateful if you did that. Send any questions you have. Uh, about next week's podcast anything you'd like discussed at on our Facebook page Rubber Bandits or on the Twitter at Rubber Bandits um, please buy the book The Gospel According to Blind Boy which is where that short story first originated um, and thank you very much for listening thank you very much for listening um, also, someone was saying as well that about the they enjoyed the the music that is behind some of the short stories that I'm reading out, and they were asking would I release it, and I don't know that seems a bit nuts, but at the same time I kind of like it. Rubber Bandit's releasing a fucking amb- an album of ambient Brian Eno, fucking Philip Glass inspired music. Maybe I will. I don't know. Throw it up on Spotify. But anyway, I'm gonna stop trying to sell you shit. Um, please go in peace and, and have a lovely week a lovely morning or a lovely evening whatever it is you're doing right now listening to this podcast uh, I wish you the very best look after yourself please and I'm going to see you next week at the exact same time and we'll have a lovely hug alright we'll have a, a, a an audio an oral cuddle alright yart hold up What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
HelloFresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.